0: When I was at GE, and it was a, by a gentleman named Baron Luttenbach, and I don't know if he remembers telling me this, but for me, it was, it was quite impactful. And he told me that social skills can be more powerful than, than tech, technical skills, because the context is so important. Because if people do not understand yep. the context, then they are not going to understand you, no matter what you're saying.
1: Welcome to Cloud Security Reinvented, a podcast for security leaders with a focus on the cloud. Learn best practices from fellow security professionals and how they've seen security evolve across their career. Cloud Security Reinvented. Good morning, or depending on when you are in the world, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Welcome to Cloud Security Reinvented. I'm your host, Andy Ellis. I'm here today with Jeremy Turner, Deputy CISO and Senior Cloud Security Engineer. Jeremy, Uh, Thank you for joining us today. (laughs) Jeremy is is fluent in Japanese, so I had to pull out one of my three sentences for him.
0: I'm impressed, it was really good, really good.
1: Thank you. I, I used to practice that when I was, you know, traveling to, J- or having Japanese people come in for our executive briefings at my previous employer.
0: Yeah, it's really helpful, you know, just being able to, you know, say a few things and it, it gets you quite far in Japan, believe it or not.
1: Yeah. yeah so speaking of Japan, your company, Payday is Japan's mm-hmm. leading buy now, pay later service. Yep. And I think they're on a mission to spread trust through society and give people room to dream. Absolutely. As Payday's yeah. deputy CISO. Tell us how your role helps to meet that.
0: Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting that you asked that question because, you know, when we think about cloud security or security in general, you know, the first thing that comes to mind are, you know, standards, you know, ISO and and Mm NIST and things like that. But, uh, in a market like Japan, things are quite different. And I think at least in my opinion, thinking out of the box is probably the most critical skills that we need. And just to give you an example, we do not use passwords and our platform. So the consumer- Fascinating. (laughs) So I could, I could already hear the, uh, you know, infosec peers are like, what, what do you mean?
1: Well, I could be really happy or really nervous, depending on what you do instead of passwords.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm not saying it's all rainbows and, uh, you know, unicorns and pixie dust, but uh, obviously there are challenges around that. But we, again, when we think about the consumer experience, uh, Mm -hmm. they don't have to deal with that. And that really does remove a lot of friction from the typical
1: flow. So, that's fascinating. So let's talk about you know, cloud security. So in your industry, how is it different than what others expect? And I think no passwords is probably right there. Because you know, yeah. if I'm on the outside, I'm thinking, oh, you have users, you have authentication, but what is different for you from, from the inside?
0: Yeah, I would honestly, I would say the fact that we don't use passwords really is something quite unique. And to give an example of that, I mean, as you can imagine, you know, we've got SOC and Offensive Security and, Mm -hmm. you know, the the usual, you know, things that you would expect. But, you know, just to give an example of a workflow for a consumer, let's say that somebody goes to Amazon Japan, never even heard of Patey. They go Mm -hmm. to Amazon Japan and maybe they want to buy a back scratcher and they see the little Patey logo. And they're like, wow, what is this? And they you know, maybe they just click on it and they're like, What? All I have to do is put in my cell phone number and an email address and I'm gonna get this back scratcher. And that's literally it. The consumer will put in uh, the phone number, they'll click a button and our platform and within one second will make a determination to allow that purchase. And then once it's approved, you know, he'll get his back scratcher, just as if he'd use a credit card. Now to authenticate to that, we do use an SMS. And, and again, people that are very familiar with the SMS and like Signal 7 and, and all that stuff, they're like, wait a minute, you know, that, there's no way that can be secure. Right. But that is part of the, uh, the payday magic, if you will. And we're very creative of what we do with AWS.
1: <laughs> but in a sense, you're sort of preparing people for the FIDO2 world, which is a, probably going to be a passwordless world where it's about proof of possession. And we might, as you know, say that you're not doing the best proofs of possession, but you're at least already there.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're having those discussions and things like MTLS come up and, uh, yep. yeah, so there's, there's so many things. And as you can imagine, there's the technical side of it, but then of course there's the business side and we have to, mm-hmm. you know, weigh those you know pros and cons.
1: Yep. So as you think about, you know, how cloud has become more prevalent, how has that affected how you approach security in your career?
0: In a weird way, you know, I think what's old is new and, you know, what's new is old. It's not that it's, you know, really different. There's things that are very similar. So if you're familiar, you know, with like data centers and stuff like that, you walk in and you see like a really nice data center, and it's like, wow, this is really you know squared away, versus one that's got cables and stuff scattered all over the place. You know, maybe
1: right, the one that actually works versus the one you're being sold.
0: <laughs> exactly, or the one you're being audited, right? But uh, definitely in, in the cloud, I would say the API sprawl and then uh, dependency sprawl can go, can get quite messy very quickly, and it's not so mm-hmm. obvious how to un- unravel that, right? So when we think about the fundamentals like asset management and stuff like that. Well, it's fine to know that you have X amount of you know servers or you know lambda functions and, and stuff like that, but how are they connected? Because these logical connections and virtual connections can get very messy very quickly, and we're yeah. at a, a place where you just can't manually do that, you know, like you could before. So, and then uh, maybe one addition to that is the fact that uh, things move very quickly, right? It's usually in real time versus you know before you would have at least a procurement window to kind of, you know, obviously you've measured before you bought your stuff, um, but while you're waiting for it to get shipped and you're racking and stacking and all that stuff, you do, you have the luxury of time to think about things, but with, again, on the cloud, like it's immediate, like you have to move very Mm -hmm. quickly.
1: So I think as we think about business outcomes and security in an ideal world, we're aligned and we get to improve them both at the same time. What's the biggest bottleneck or barrier that you see to getting that done, to improving security and business together?
0: Yeah, again, it's the, the usual suspects. And I'll just say it, I know people are tired of hearing this, but the a- asset management stuff, and I'm not talking about just like S3 buckets and, and servers, but you know, it could be accounts or high, high privileged accounts, it could be people could be a lot of things. And just understanding how, how it works. And even, you know, I kind of ran into this earlier in my career, I thought working at a large company, if I went to a smaller company, it would be easier, but I found out very quickly that is not the case. And if we look at something like you know containers, so of course a lot mm-hmm. of businesses are using containers. Sometimes it feels like you are trying to fix a plane while it's in flight without it uh, crashing. And it, it could be very delicate, right? And of course we've got infrastructure as code and like amazing tools. I mean, there's just so many tools, tools from to choose from really can get complex if you don't understand your critical assets, and especially your data, right, because we don't want to lose our data, and knowing where that's at. But I think companies are still struggling with that small or big.
1: Well, so what do you think, though, has been the biggest surprise, or maybe it still is an opportunity for growth now that we're in this cloud era?
0: I like to think that I have a little bit of unique perspective on this one. And I would argue that Today, anybody can do amazing things on on the cloud. And Mm -hmm. I kind of go back to, you know, earlier in my career when I was trying to learn networking and servers. Like, you would have to go buy, like, Cisco switches and servers from eBay, and you'd make your own little home data center and all that stuff. But now, you you don't have to do that. Like, you literally can just whip out a a prepaid card, get an account, and replicate a a whole enterprise. And I, I think that's a really good thing because you've got a lot more people that can get into this field without having to invest a lot of money. And the only thing that's stopping them is just literally logging in and doing stuff. You know, you can learn it from YouTube, you can learn it from courses and we just couldn't really, you know, do that before. And thanks to infrastructure as code, a lot of these things can be quite consistent. So I, I think that is the biggest uh, potential for growth is more people have access to the technology. Yeah,
1: no, that definitely the reduction of the gatekeeper effect that it used to be that, you know, you'd say, Oh, you know, what does your home lab look like? And I don't think I've heard people like mention a home lab other than, you know, when we talk about the past uh, when we built them. So maybe that, that addresses my next question, which is I like to look to the future and what security practice about the cloud gives you hope that things are going to change significantly in the future. Yeah, I, I was better, by the way.
0: Yeah, well, you know, the, the biggest thing that I've noticed, again, this is just my, my path. I started out on IT operations and was doing like the servers and networking and stuff like that, and didn't really think too much about development. You know, you would just buy your your software or to get vendor to bring it in. But, uh, you know, now, if you're on AWS, you can't just be like the server guy or gal, you know, you can't just do one thing like you literally have to understand development to some degree. And I've I've found that the really good thing about this is that we're getting closer together. Like everybody just absolutely has to work together or the whole, you know, plane, (laughs) using that analogy is just gonna crash, right?
1: And I think they have more empathy for the people (laughs) who are traditionally on the other side of the wall. It's like, oh, when I was a developer, I hated operations, but now that I'm in DevOps, I understand like the pain they were going through.
0: Well, I also think another one that is, overlooked is the fact that let's say that your organization doesn't do asset management very well well in the case of amazon anyway which i'm you know buried knees deep in uh they are going to tell you what your assets are because they have to bill you for them (laughs) and that's a good point and that is very helpful right because you can literally go in and say you know what i think i know where i have everything but you open up that bill and you'll get some prizes and it tells you like which region and all that stuff and it's like wow you know, this really small thing is is actually quite helpful. And I I think that's really a a game changer compared to the way we used to do it before.
1: Mm -hmm. So let's go back and and look a little bit at your career. I always love looking at how people got to where they are today. And first of all, I have to say you have scrubbed your LinkedIn profile in a fantastic (laughs) way. There's basically nothing there. So I had to do some other open source intelligence, also known as Asking You. But <laughs> but what motivated you to clean up your LinkedIn profile and basically have little there?
0: Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm not anti-social, but I shouldn't say this. I, I just, I felt like I was getting pinged all the time by like recruiters and businesses. And like, yep. I got a love in my heart for them. I mean, I'm not saying that they're doing anything. They've got like a hard job. They got a hard job. But I just didn't feel like I was getting much value you know, from that. And Mm -hmm. I I just kind of needed to take a break from it. But then there's that part of me too. It's like, well, you know, I should market myself and I should, you know, put myself out there a little bit more. And I'll probably open it up. I'm just kind of taking a little bit of a break. That's all it is.
1: Yep. But I think one of the things I find fascinating is how many times already in this conversation, you've used airplane metaphors and analogies, you know, fixing the airplane, given that you, you know, early in your career, you jumped out of perfectly good airplanes.
0: (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) <laughs> Why I did that? I'm still wondering, but yes, I did.
1: Yeah. It's, it's always one of those fascinating things. So for those, you know, who don't get the reference, Jeremy was a, a paratrooper, I believe, yep. but that wasn't your true love in the military. No, you yeah, really wanted to do.
0: Yeah. Every time I explain this, people just look at me, they, they think I'm joking and I'll just go ahead and, and say it here. So when I got into computers, I was actually into music as well. And one of the things I guess is kind of like my, my first introduction to security without knowing it was security was just hacking hardware to get like MIDI and stuff like that working. I had like a Commodore yep. 64 and then Atari ST and all that stuff. Um, Did you have
1: the dark brown Commodore 64 before they went to the light brown models?
0: I, now that I think about it, I might have. It's been a while. Yeah, that was the zero <laughs> edition.
1: I loved that one. I had one of those too. <laughs> but now it that we've was all just, dated ourselves. Yeah,
0: I know. <laughs> But it was just like um, an amazing thing, but I, I really got into to music and I remember the day I was doing a performance and just walking down after after my performance, my gig, and I see these military guys playing music and I'm like, Well, wow, what's this? And they're they're like really buff and amazing musicians. And you know, I'm I'm sixteen, I'm in Fayetteville, you know, near Fort Bragg. And I'm yep. like, Okay, guys, I wanna be awesome just like you. How do I do this? And they're like, Oh, wow, you you wanna join the, the army band? And I'm like, Yeah. If I'm going to sound like that, of course I do. So, um, a few auditions later, you know, they said I was the first one to to pass the audition in five years. But I didn't know it was the nice. 82nd Airborne <laughs> Division. <laughs> and they're like, "So you're cool jumping out of airplanes?" I'm like, "What?" They're like, "Yeah, you, this is the only band in the free world that you have to jump out of airplanes." I'm like, "Well, I've, I've gotten this far. Um, I don't want to pull out now." So yes, I, I joined the military as a musician. I was at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I've you know jumped out of airplanes, of course. And my secondary duty was computers and uh, information security. So that's kind of how this uh, roller coaster ride started.
1: So let this be a lesson to anybody who is looking for a new gig: make sure you read the fine print about what also comes with whatever job you're about to take, or you too might be thrown out of a perfectly good airplane. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, in the early days of security, and especially if you were, had it as an additional duty, I suspect training opportunities were sort of hard to get. How did you learn and develop?
0: Yeah, it's one of those things. And hopefully we can talk about a little bit later where, you know, a job versus a career, even though I was doing music, like I just love computers. Like I had to be doing something with a computer and it was just that kind of urge to learn how it works. And with the military, I mean, of course there's good training, but back then, I mean, information security wasn't quite really a thing um, mm-hmm. that you just kind of learn, right? So we were, you know, password protection is you'd write it down in a little notebook and keep it in a lock closet with
1: a lot. Right. You didn't put in a yellow sticky. You had a notebook with them all in it. And <laughs> we, stuff. Had, we
0: had a notebook. Yeah. All in one spot. <laughs> Nobody would walk out with that. But, uh, you know, after a few years of doing that, and then when I came to Japan, there was actually a few more barriers, which was... There was no training in Japan, and if there was training in Japan, it was in Japanese. And at the time, I definitely didn't understand Japanese enough to, to do that. So mainly self-taught. The only thing that kind of really helped me is um, they started coming out with uh, like CBT. I think mm-hmm. um, Train Signal was one of the first ones, and you know I would spend money and buy the little DVDs, and you'd know, wait for it to come in, and you know play it, and then like get my computer and just mimic what I was seeing. It was kind of like a, a test lab, if you will. And yep. then just incremental, you know, learn something new, give it a try learn something new, give it a try. And then you just get to a point where you get comfortable with it.
1: And so I'd love that sort of, yeah. You know, the same self-training people can now do much more easily by, you know, turning on a cloud service and doing a tutorial you were doing via mail order. Yeah. Um, but at, at what point did you say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be a musician full-time. I'm going to be a full-time, you know, it person and move into security. Like how did that transition happen for you?
0: Yeah, it was pretty easy. I became homeless. <laughs> For
1: uh, <laughs> I don't know, how to call that easy, but maybe clear.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I it was actually if anybody's familiar with Japan, uh, Suminagawa or Sumina River. I um, just didn't have a place to stay. I was trying to make it in Tokyo as a, as a jazz musician, and I, I guess I wasn't good enough. And I found myself with literally nowhere to go. And of course, I had skills and stuff like that, but I, I spent probably a good two or three evenings, you know out on, on the benches you know thank goodness it wasn't in the, the monsoon season and, and bad weather mm-hmm. but uh of course you know i called up some friends and they kind of got me settled and i'm like okay you know the music stuff is great but should probably do something that's going to be a little bit more uh stable so yeah I, just from there i i think i got a job on yakota Base, you know basic it and just mm-hmm. worked my way up from you know help desk and servers and networking and then the rest is you know history as they say so
1: yeah, so I love that. So, so I think along the way, at some point, you've been doing security awareness or security training was with, uh, with Plural site. Yep, yep. So, and, how did you get into that as a passion?
0: You know, it was kind of funny. Uh, it kind of goes back to that LinkedIn, like why why is your profile kind of locked down? I was going through a phase where, well, actually, not really a phase. Like, I, I really wanted to be out there a bit more, and I'm like, well, you know, maybe I should do a course. So I reached out to the folks at ProSites, and you know they, they told me what I needed to do. I did the audition and all that stuff, and they, and they said, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's a good question. I can do a lot of stuff, but hmm. So they, they suggested security awareness. I'm like, wow, that, that's actually kind of a difficult one to do because at the time, I think the course, I, I made it back in 2018, and, and things have changed quite a bit then. I'm like, wow, there there really isn't much resources online. Like if you Google security awareness training, like you don't really see much. And I I think at the time there's maybe a book or two. So I just used my experience. I think I based it off of a real life scenario, the gentleman that I was mentoring, I just went through the, the process of like, this is how I did it before. This is what a few books say you should do. I think NIST has some guidance around security awareness. And it was just really fun to kind of go through that whole process and talk people yep. through not just like what to do, but what to expect. And as you know, Andy, you just can't please everybody <laughs> no matter how hard you try. And it, it really is difficult to capture uh, people's intention. And, and right now I've got my orange shirt on because it is October, but more importantly, it's Security Awareness Month. And yep. we're, we're doing that at PADI now, right? And it it's fun and it's scary at the same time to, to get you know, developers and engineers to be excited to listen to that talk or you know, watch mm-hmm. that video on, on something that's relevant to what they're doing. And I, I think it's really, really fun for me. And uh, going back to that comment about people having easy access to the cloud, uh, same thing with security awareness, right? There's just so many ways to get people's attention to make them aware of what they need to do without boring them to death, you know, through the one two hour, you know, PowerPoint, yeah. death by PowerPoint thing which the death we, we by PowerPoint
1: with death by PowerPoint with controlled, you know, advancement, you can't speed up, you can't slow down and you can't change window <laughs> focus. Exactly, um, exactly. Yeah, I've, my, my big question I've always had for secu- most security awareness trainings, I'm glad you're, you focus on engaging the users Was how often did people have a second computer just to run the security awareness training in while they did real work <laughs> on a different <laughs> machine?
0: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're always aware of that, especially with, you know, COVID and remote work, I mean, yep. if you just look at daily meetings, who knows who's playing like video games or, you know, on the phone or whatnot. So, yep. but there's tricks to, to get people's attention. So.
1: Yeah. So, so now you're at Pady, um where you came in, you focused on cloud security and now you're the deputy CISO. What's that, that transition been like from being sort of an individual contributor, sort of driving change to now being, you having more responsibility in the organization.
0: Yeah, for me, it wasn't that big of a transition. One thing I I didn't mention, uh, because I was kind of (laughs) caught in the moment. So I I used to work at GE Capital. So I was at ESO, and a CISO, and I did a lot of stuff there. Uh, GE Capital was sold off, unfortunately, in in Japan. And then uh, after that, I was a CTO for a small fintech startup, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to disrupt the, the capital market. So... Again, you know, kind of at the strategic level and then on the uh, technical level as well. And then Patey, uh, Patey, I was actually doing consulting before I started working with them full time. And uh, a lot of the folks that I work with, I had worked uh, with before and our currency. So um, he actually <laughs> used to work for me at GE. So it's just kind of a really good relationship where, you know, when he needs to step out, I, I step in. And yep. uh, I just I just make sure to support him whenever he needs. And uh, yeah, I mean, for us, it's been fantastic.
1: That sounds like a great relationship. So looking across that career, there's probably you know some advice you got early in your career or that you g- gave yourself after an impactful or memorable moment. Like what is that appreciative moment that you'd like to then share? Like what piece of advice helped transform you? Besides it's okay to be in IT instead of being homeless. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's definitely uh, on the top of the list, but, oh, geez, there's just so many. But if I had to really think of one, it would be when I was at GE, and it was uh, by a gentleman named Baron Luttenbach, and I don't know if he remembers telling me this, but for me it was, it was quite impactful. And he told me that social skills can be more powerful than, than tech, technical skills because the context is so important because if people do not understand yep. the context, then they are not gonna understand you no matter what you're saying. And then uh, kind of on top of that, I mean, he didn't say it directly this way, but what he was suggesting to me is that when somebody says no, you know, don't think of it as a rejection. It's just simply a a not now, (laughs) or I was not convincing enough and I need to go back and do some homework and figure out how to convey, you know, what it is that I need to convey a little bit better.
1: Unless you're one of the vendors or recruiters currently chasing Jeremy (laughs) through LinkedIn, in which case the no does mean no. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. Something like that. So,
1: yeah. So actually, I I love those pieces of advice. In fact, one of them, the, that first one resonates. I just wrote a book on leadership. And one of the things I taught chapters is your know, technical skills. You change the world through your own action, people skills. You change it through other people's actions and yeah. process skills. You change it through people you've never even met. Oh, wow. And those okay. are far more powerful when you channel other people's energy into changing the world.
0: Yeah, and I can't wait to to see your book. I saw it on LinkedIn. I was like, okay, this is going to be a good read. So I, I think this yep. comes out in a few months. It comes out Maybe. in April. Oh, okay, a little bit more, but uh,
1: yeah, a little bit more. Still, still some time to do some marketing on it.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, you know, if somebody was going to come to you and said, "Hey, I'm interested in building a world class cybersecurity team," what advice would you give them? Yeah. Again, there's just so many,
0: so many things to talk about in this, and I, I would say the first one. Which I don't hear this very often for some reason, or maybe I'm in a really small bubble. Um, yep. But it's know yourself. Like you really need to understand yourself, make sure that your stuff is in order. Because if you can't manage yourself well, you're going to have a hard time managing the people that are you know depending on you and working with you. And uh, probably a close second to that one is again, you know, the thing about cybersecurity, right? Is we get so focused on, on the technical aspects of it and of course we need those world class security engineers to you know point mm-hmm. out every fault in the system and stuff like that but you have to understand the business or the organization and i would say that if you want to lead a world class cybersecurity team you must ensure that they understand that even if they don't want to understand the business that they need to understand it whether that means having them you know every week you know, talk about what they've learned about the business because you know, some organizations are, are quite large, right? Yep, but just making sure that everybody knows what's going on, you know, from a non technical perspective. And if you can get away with it, like we do at Payday, that the financials, like how well is the business doing? You know, look at the balance sheet, yeah. you know, what does that mean? Look at the market, you know, there, there's other threats apart from <laughs> DDoS and stuff like that, right? And I, I think those are just core skills, and then and finally. Uh, so, I talked about like yourself and then the business, and then, of course, the team. You know, be mm-hmm. with your team. Like, what are what your goals? You know, how can I help you achieve those goals? And not a checklist type of thing. If, if your person on your team is doing, I don't know, AppSec, but they want to move into, I don't know, offensive security, you know, help them get a good roadmap to do that. Because, you know, the more you help them, the more willing they're going to be to help you <laughs> when you need it. Oh,
1: them. absolutely yeah well in fact i've always said you should encourage people to leave your organization yeah not in in the negative way of chasing them out but if you make it that the reason they stay is because they love you then the only people who stay are the people who love your organization
0: you know i i used to say that and i stopped so here was the phrase i would say my job is to ensure that you don't need me anymore yep and people are like why would you say that are you nuts i'm like no i mean it's you know, I don't want to be here for like 20 years doing the same thing. Like I want to make it more efficient where you don't need it. And we have other problems to solve. So maybe I need to, you know, change the phrasing of that. Well, (laughs) well,
1: actually, I think that's a really powerful one that people should grasp is that being irreplaceable is dangerous because you have to be replaced at some point. It might be in 20 years, but if Mm -hmm. you've created this niche where you're the only one who can do stuff, you actually incentivize the organization to get rid of you sooner and just bite yeah. the bullet. Because every day the pain of you departing go, grows grows larger. If instead you say, no, no, if, if you let me go, it's okay. At some point people will look around and be like, yeah, but why would I let you go? Because you're the person who makes sure everything is more efficient and works more smoothly. And I want more of that, not less of that. Yeah, absolutely. So I love that. <laughs> Let's move, move a little bit to personal perspective. You know, the, the gig of being a CISO, you know, whether it's a deputy CISO or a CISO, a lot of burnout tends to come with that. What do you do to unwind and take care of yourself? I've got a new, a new hobby.
0: <laughs> okay. and, uh, so I started getting into fixing retro game consoles. So what happened was I was looking on YouTube and I, of course, the YouTube algorithm knows everything. And I saw this video where the guy is like scrubbing this old Game Boy, and I'm like, wow, that looks kind of fun. So I I started buying these really old beat up things for like a dollar to see if I can uh, fix them. And it really brought back a lot of memories because in in the military, like I was doing a little bit of electronics and soldering and stuff like that. And yeah, I've kind of found a lot of joy in that. And uh, the most recent thing was a few days ago, I won the lottery for a PlayStation
1: 5. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so wow, but not, not an
1: old beat up thing to be repaired yet.
0: <laughs> a brand new, like it. it's literally so brand new that I don't even know what to do with it. I, I think I got some stuff downloading cause it's like 80 gigabytes for a game. Yeah. So uh, I'll let you know how that goes.
1: <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to, to hear your experience on it. And with that one, yeah, I always like to see, is there a pearl of life wisdom that you live by that you wanna leave our lis- listeners with?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say two things, you know, like do what you love because if you're doing what you love you know i know there's like a phrase like do what you love so you don't have to work another day in your life mm-hmm. but but that is so true i mean because i actually don't really feel burnout because i really enjoy what i'm doing and i think at this point i've learned how to pace myself but a- another part of that is a lot of folks want to work in infosec or you know they were doing other it or maybe not even it at all and they moved over to InfantSEC because of the, you know, sexiness of like being Mr. Robot and you know getting, <laughs> you know, the, the big money and the big payday. But I've found people that they they really do not like the field because when you get into this field, you quickly realize that of course being technical will get you very far you know, if you're an engineer yep. or, or whatnot. But no matter what you're doing, you still have to talk to people. You still have to convince them, you know, you still have to show them the, the risk. You have to show them that the benefits. And I think that a lot of people don't know that when they get in and they get in, they're like, wow, this is not Mr. Robot and that's okay. Yep. You give it a try. And if you feel that it's not for you, try something else. All those skills that you learn in information security will be beneficial no matter what you do. So don't be shy to, to move out of it. If it's not for you.
1: Yeah, I love that. Thank you, Jeremy, for joining us today.
0: Oh, thank you very much, Andy. It's been a pleasure.
1: And for our listeners, you can catch us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. I'm Andy Ellis for Cloud Security Reinvented. Thank you for listening to Cloud Security Reinvented. Brought to you by Orca Security. With Orca, your vision is clear, your business is secure, and your cloud, well, it's yours. Orca Security, the cloud is yours we hope you enjoyed it and if you did please consider leaving us a review to help spread the word